Good morning. We want to welcome you to East LJ Baptist Church today. It's a beautiful Lord's Day. We're so glad you're here. And I think I see quite a few first-time guests. We're especially glad to have you today. And we want you to know that we have been captivated by Christ here at East LJ. We have seen God's glory through the gospel in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. God has shown us His grace and His mercy through His own Son. And we have been captivated by Him. We pray you'll see the beauty of Christ today and be captivated by Him as well. I want to give a quick thank you to a couple of, couple of folks here. First of all, our worship team and our audio-video team. Uh, the guys in the back here running the, the sound and video. Our worship team, including some who are not able to be here today. We've got a couple sick, I know. Uh, week in and week out, these guys prayerfully prepare and, and work to lead us in worship. And we appreciate you. Uh, so give them a, a round of applause to thank you. And I want to thank our Sunday school classes, all of our Sunday school teachers and the classes, especially uh, I ha- have in mind this morning some of our adult classes that are, even as, we're, as we speak in these days, meeting people's needs. They're loving and serving people very practically on a regular basis. Uh, we've got some classes uh, doing encouraging gifts or uh, another class collecting some food for the food pantry. Other classes trying to uh, seeking to be, meet bigger financial needs in the lives of their class members and even reaching out into the lives of the folks in our community. And so thank you to our Sunday school teachers and, and our class members as they work together uh, in community to show the love of Christ. We want to stand and uh, spend a little bit of community time getting to know each other. Find someone you don't know and introduce yourself to them as we stand.
tonight if you'll make your way back to your pew, but remain standing. Maybe I just saved some of y'all a squat there. So uh, get back to your pew and we'll uh, just remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 7. This will be part of our text for the morning, verses 25 to 27. Speaking of Jesus, the author of Hebrews says, Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. For indeed, it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. I'm so thankful today that if you know Christ, you and I have a great high priest over the house of God. He is in the presence of the Father right now. And he ever lives. He, he, he has risen from the dead and he'll never die. He'll always be on the job interceding for you and me. And he made a once for all sacrifice for our sins so that today we can have peace with God. We can know that we are accepted by God in Jesus. And God sees us just as righteous as Christ is because we are clothed even in the righteousness of Jesus. What a, a wonderful truth that is. What a, what a powerful message is the gospel. Amen? Amen. Please be seated. I want to share with you, uh, just before we pray, uh, some, some prayer requests. Uh, specifically this morning, we normally pray for an unreached people group right, right, right here. We talk about that. But this morning, I want to pray for Jim Leslie, one of our own, who serves with the Gideons. And he has begun, and, and between Friday of this past week and sometime in November, he's going to be on the run um, serving in, in all different kind of places. So here's the rundown. This weekend, he's in Atlanta doing a scripture blitz. Yesterday, um, there were 5,597 scriptures distributed. That's day one of four. They distributed those in hospitals, rehab facilities, and police precincts. Tomorrow, they go to Georgia Tech. Tuesday, they'll be at Georgia State University in Morehouse College and, and distributing scriptures. Today, they're in some local churches there in the Atlanta area. So be in prayer for Jim and the Gideons there. Uh, then on this Friday, oh, and Jim says thank you for helping purchase those scriptures that they're uh, distributing. On Friday, Jim leaves for a 10-day trip to Madagascar for an international Bible blitz there in Madagascar. And then in November, Jim will be going to, uh, on a 21-day on trip to the world's poorest country in, in um, is it East Africa, West Africa, Burundi. Um, and so pray for Jim's health there. It's, it's, it's going to be a rough, physically rough and demanding trip, but opportunity to visit with uh, uh, 19 Gideon camps throughout that country. Jim has assumed responsibility for the Gideon work in Burundi. And so he'll be making some trips back and forth there. But this will be the first of that. So anyway, he's going to be busy and needs our prayers. So uh, as we pray and, and pray for others, uh, join me as we pray for Jim and, and, and several folks here. Father, what a privilege it is to be able to, to bow our heads and say, Father, and know that we are children of God. To know that you hear us and fully accept us, all because of what Jesus has done for us, who he is as our perfect 
high priest as the perfect sacrifice for our sins, as our ongoing intercession, intercessor before the Father's throne. We praise you for the gospel, for the peace we have, for the joy we have, for the wonder that is ours to be called the children of the living God. And Father, we pray for those who've yet to, to come to know you, our neighbors, folks close to us that we have opportunity to talk to. God, make us loving and, and compassionate and bold witnesses to them. Father, this morning we do lift up our brother Jim and other Gideons as, uh, he, that he serves alongside of in these days. Father, thank you for the opportunities uh, that are before him. And we pray that you would just continue as you always do to use your word as thousands of copies of your word go out in the, in the days ahead. Father, we pray that many would come to know Christ. God, give uh, the individuals who receive your word a hunger to understand what it says, to uh, a curiosity about what, what, the, what the, the Bible's all about. And God, as they open the pages of those books, Father, we pray that you would, you would meet them there, that they would encounter Christ through the gospel in your word. Father, we lift up all the different travels that Jim will have, and, and thank you that you go before him. Lord, this morning we continue to pray for comfort for the families of Lana Weberg and Jenny Gatanaglu. God, we lift up Ben Kaiser, uh, recovering from surgery for a blood clot in his lung. We pray for Bill McKinley as he deals with heart issues, and George Weaver. We thank you that Trisha Patterson's here today. Pray for her as they continue to work towards some resolve on her back issues. We pray for Scott Wald, young, young, younger man in his early 50s uh, who's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Father, we pray for Stacy Parker and her husband. We uh, especially have on our hearts this week Angie and Larry Callahan, both with health issues that they're dealing with, Father. And we just pray that you would strengthen and, and, and uphold them in these days. Father, thank you uh, for answered prayer for Kathy Rickert. Pray for wisdom for her doctors about her hearing this week. We continue to pray for Mary Milton and Arveline Wallace, Ben Bankston and Mike Williams. We uh, join our hearts to pray for Sam Burrell this morning, Lord, with an unknown infection in the hospital, not doing well. We pray for wisdom and healing there. We continue to pray for Vicki Waters, who's been blacking out, and God pray that the neurologist would have wisdom as to the cause. We continue to pray for Dayton Rogers Moss. And also Angie Whitener, our Associational Missionary Secretary, who is uh, very ill with a uh, stomach bug and, and, and also some gallbladder issues. She's going to have to have some uh, surgery, I think, this week on her gallbladder. Father, there are others and so many needs even in this room. I thank you that you see and you know everyone. You don't forget anything. You don't, you don't miss anybody's situations. And God, you care. And because you care, we cry out to you. Father, we lift these needs up to you, knowing that you're able to comfort and heal. And we pray that you would do that where you so choose for your name's sake. And in, the, in, and in other situations, Father, pour out your grace and strength that they may endure. And God, I pray that in it all, you would draw each one closer to yourself and, and give sweet comfort in, in a sense to your presence. Father, we praise you for the privilege of worshiping you today. And even right now, calls us to be still, to know that you're God, to know that we are in the presence of the living God, that you are here and you inhabit the praises of your people. So, Father, come. May Christ be exalted in our singing, in our praying, in our giving, in our hearing and receiving of your word. We ask it all in his precious name. Amen.
We're glad you joined us this morning. If you'd stand with us once again, we'll uh, spend some time in worshiping God through song.
changes not thy compassions they fail not as thou hast been now forever summer and winter and springtime and Joy. Sure.
Y'all can be seated. Lord, there is no other place we can run but to your cross. We don't have anything to say before holy God except Jesus died for me. Thank you, Father, for the truth of the gospel. Thank you that you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son. You gave him up to death in our place. After he came and lived a perfect life in our place. He was buried and three days later he rose in victory for us to give life and to prove he was King of kings and Lord of lords, the only Savior of the world, the perfect and spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are, as we've been seeing, our great high priest. Help us to understand a little more today of what that means. Help us to live with the confidence that your finished work, your shed blood in righteousness, your resurrection is all that's needed for us to be able to boldly and confidently relate to the Father and run to the throne of grace for help in our time of need. May Christ be exalted and may our lives be changed that we would walk in a greater dependence on and confidence in Jesus. Even today through your word as you come to be our teacher, our transformer, change our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. We'll begin reading in just a few minutes in verse 25, and we'll read down into the first part of chapter 8. We dis- Are we dismissing to children's church this morning? Yes, we'll be dismissed to children's church. Sorry about that, I forgot to say that. As we study through the book of Hebrews, I've been thinking about shadows. Shadows are interesting phenomenons, aren't they? Put your thinking caps on with me just for a second and think about shadows. What does a shadow do? What's a shadow all about? A shadow informs us of the certainty of something that exists, right? Y'all tracking? So if I see a shadow... There's always something behind the shadow. If you want to get a little more technical, there's always something between the source of light and the shadow that casts the shadow, right? And the reality is there would be no such thing as a shadow if the thing, whatever it might be, wasn't actually there. In other words, there has to be a reality, a person or an object that is real in order for a shadow to ever be cast in the first place by the light that's shining past that reality, that real thing or person. So shadows exist 
because a real thing or someone exists. You can use shadows if you're trying to hide from somebody, can't you? You know, remember when you were a kid and you played hide-and-seek? Even kids know how to read shadows and use shadows. I mean, if you're hiding around the corner and you see a shadow going ahead of you, know, then guess what you know? They're coming for you. They found you because they're right behind. That person is right behind the shadow. When we see a shadow, what's our immediate response? What do you automatically do? Do you focus on and become preoccupied with the shadow? That's being cast out there. Is that what you do? No, we look for the reality. We immediately, visually begin to find the person or the thing that's casting the shadow. The shadow cues us into there's something real, somebody real coming. But immediately we quit looking at the shadow and begin to focus on what it might be, who it might be. The book of Hebrews intends to teach us that all of the Old Testament system of worship, it was always a mere shadow of something much greater. In the plan and wisdom and design of God for human history, all that happened in the Old Testament, all of the, the, the temple worship, the Levitical priesthood, the sacrifices, all of those things were given as shadows of the ultimate reality of Jesus Christ, who is God's temple, the great high priest over the house of God, and the perfect and only true sacrifice to atone for sin. I just thought, this, I just thought about this part when I was sitting down there singing a while ago, so I, if this don't work, uh, I'll fix it later, okay? So... Just work, bear with me. So if you imagine time from your perspective from left to right. So right is eternity future, left is eternity past. Okay, I'm going to turn back around so you get it. If back here is the Old Testament, and somewhere in this vicinity is Jesus, and out here in eternity future is God the Father shining His light, the light of His holiness and His goodness and His righteousness and His grace back over time. It's as if in the Old Testament, the shadow cast by Christ was all of that Old Testament stuff, all the Old Testament worship. It was never meant to be the reality, but to point to the reality that was yet to come, to which history was continuing to move closer and closer and closer to the reality of Christ who came. And now we live, and I'm just summarizing this whole passage, which is maybe helpful. Now we live on the other side of the reality. We live in the reality of Christ. There's no more shadows for us. We walk in the full light of God and His grace because of the person of Christ. In fact, in Hebrews 8, verse 5, we'll read in a few minutes. Speaking of the Old Testament Levitical priest who served in the temple in Jerusalem... That verse says there, they serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. I didn't make it up, it came right out of the text. But as we'll see this morning, Jesus serves in the heavenly temple, and Jesus is the reality behind all of the shadows. We continue our study through the book of Hebrews this morning, and if you boil down the whole book, 
Here's what the author of Hebrews is trying to communicate loudly and clearly. Don't forget who Jesus is. These readers knew. So many of us know. We've heard the gospel. We've known it for years, decades perhaps. And the author of Hebrews says, don't forget who Jesus is. Don't leave the reality and the full light of the Son of God and go back to playing with the shadows. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Consequently, He, that is Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since, how does He do that? Since He always lives to make intercession for them. For indeed, it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests, the earthly ones, that is, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Chapter 8, verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. Man, I like it when Scripture just spells it out, right? What's the point in all this talk that we've been doing for the last several weeks in concerning Jesus being our high priest? Now, the point in what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest. One who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. A minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Skipping down to verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better. The author of Hebrews is saying Jesus is our much more excellent High priest. He's much more excellent than the high priest of the Old Testament. Much more excellent. I like that language, don't you? That makes it real plain. He's much more excellent. And part of the thing we'll begin, we'll see this more next week. We're not, we're not getting into the, the, the betterness of the covenant that he mediates, which is the new covenant, but, but that's what's being referred to here. The reason he's a much more excellent priest is, is, is because of who he is, but also because of the, the better covenant of which he is a minister. We're talking this morning about our much more excellent high priest. And here's the truth I want you to take home. We can live with confidence that there's no better mediator for us with God than Jesus, our perfect high priest. Are you convinced of that? Do you ever allow yourself to wonder, is there something more? The author of Hebrews wants to underscore it for you. There is nothing any better. There's no one that could do it any better then it's already been done by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You say, Chad, I think this is going to be sort of a repeat message. You'd be correct. This is just the same thing we've been talking about. But here's the deal. When, when Scripture repeats itself, then guess what we ought to do? We probably ought to read that part anyway, right? Amen? Y'all with me? It's important. He put it in there for a reason. And, and we're going to come to the Lord's table this morning, so we're going to kind of fast, fast-track this message because you've heard it all. You're not going to learn anything new this morning probably unless maybe you missed something as we went along before or weren't able to be around. 
nothing really new here, but I want you to slow down. And I want you to listen as I talk fast. I want you to listen, and I want you to let the truth that you already know soak in afresh. We're coming to worship our high priest today. We're coming to worship our Savior today. So listen to these realities about him today. Our much more excellent high priest. He wants us to live with confidence that there's no better mediator for us with God than him. Jesus, our perfect high priest. Five ways this text reveals that Jesus is better than the Old Testament priest, better than anything that had come before. That Jesus is, in fact, the reality that cast a shadow back into the days of the Old Testament. First of all, notice when in verse 26, Jesus is sinless. For it, indeed was, it was indeed fitting that we should have a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. That's exactly the kind we needed. I love verse 1 of chapter 8. And this is the kind of priest we've got, he says. You and I as sinners needed somebody unlike us, somebody who was perfect to stand in our place and to be righteous for us and then to go as, as the perfect sacrifice to save us. Jesus is sinless, unlike the other high priest. Well, we saw this back in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, where it says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is sinless. He's perfect. But he's not unsympathetic. He has been tempted in every way just as we are. He knows what that feels like. He knows what that experience is like, yet he, he persevered through temptation and obeyed God at every single point. What a Savior is ours. What a high priest we have who's not only sinless but is sympathetic. But secondly, notice here, Jesus is the once-for-all sacrifice. He is the once-for-all sacrifice himself. Verse 27, he has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Now, the high priest of the Old Testament, the high priest back there in the shadow time, they had to make sacrifices for their own sin because they were just like me and you, sinners. God gave them a special office. He, uh, he again, used those men to, 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 as it were, to point forward to the great high priest who would come. But they had to make sacrifices for all sin. Jesus didn't have any sin, we already established, to make any sacrifice for. But he did make a once-for-all sacrifice for my sin and your sin. Because of his perfection, because of his sinlessness, he could hang on that cross. And in, the, his, in his death, pay for the sins of all who ever come to trust in him. To pay for the sins of the world. In John 1, verse 29, we read the words of John the Baptist. When he saw Jesus coming, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the once-for-all sacrifice. He offered up himself. He paid for the sins of the people when he once-for-all offered up himself. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and he's the Lamb of Revelation 5. Verses 6 and following, in between the throne, John says, and the four living creatures, and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, 
with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you. They're singing to the Lamb, to the Lamb of God. Worthy are you to take the scrolls and to open its seals. Why? Why was Jesus worthy? Why was the Lamb worthy? For, because, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you, the Lamb, have made them a kingdom and priest to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Jesus is the once for all sacrifice. He offered up himself to pay for our sins. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And here's the deal. Revelation 5 tells us it worked. It was a good purchase. It was a solid purchase. We have been blood-bought by the, by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And one day, everyone for whom Christ died will stand before the throne of the living God and before the Lamb and sing His praises. Because as it says, He is worthy. Because He ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Jesus is sinless. Jesus is the once-for-all sacrifice. Thirdly, Jesus was appointed as high priest by God's oath. Chapter 7, verse 28. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. That is, they die. They're sinners, and therefore they die. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. We've seen this as we've worked through Hebrews. Those Old Testament priests were servants of God. They were weak in that they were sinners and they therefore would die. Jesus, though, was appointed by God as a son, not a servant, a son, who was strong and would never die because of his perfection and his sinlessness. And that's what we're seeing here. Jesus was appointed as high priest by God's oath. Chapter 7, just a few verses before this, verse 20, it says, And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath. By the one, that is God, who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. The Father addressing the Son, You are a priest forever. Psalm 110. This makes Jesus, verse 22 says, the guarantor of a better covenant. Because he's a better priest. He's not a servant, full of sin and therefore who would die and have to be replaced. He is a son, sinless, who would never die and who was fit himself to be the sacrifice for our sins. Jesus was appointed as high priest by God's oath. God swore Jesus would be the final priest over the house of God. And fourthly this morning, from verse 25, Jesus' ministry is forever. Verse 25, Consequently, He, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since. How does He do that? How can He save us to the uttermost? That means to the end that has no end. <laughs> since He always lives to make intercession for them. He died not because of His own sin, but because of my sin. Proof positive that he paid it all is that he rose again. And, and, and having risen from the dead, he will never die. He lives. 
forever. Hebrews 7, verses 15 and 16, it says, This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest. Listen, how did Jesus become a priest? Not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent. Remember those Old Testament priests? You had to be in, in the right family. You had to be of the tribe of Levi, right? You had to be, and that's just the way it was. That's just what God did. You had to be according to this line. Jesus wasn't from the line of the tribe of Levi. He was from the tribe of Judah. But more importantly, he was after the order of who? Melchizedek. If you weren't here for the Melchizedek thing, go back and check it out. Don't sweat it too much. Bottom line, it's a superior priesthood to that of Levi. And that's where Jesus came. He was not... Uh, he, become a, he became a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, listen, but by the power of an indestructible life. We're told that Melchizedek had neither beginning or end, had no genealogy, so it is the Christ. He has the power of an indestructible life. He lives forever, and therefore his ministry is forever. I don't get tired of reading verse 25, do you? I hope not because I'm going to read it again. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. You ever get tired of serving the Lord? You ever get tired of walking with the Lord? You ever get tired? Hello? Anybody want to testify? Nobody's tired. Okay. Yeah. We get, I get tired. He never gets tired. I was talking to somebody this morning. They're going to retire and, well, he, he don't, he's, he's on security. They're going to retire in 70 working days. And they're tickled. Aren't you glad Jesus, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm proud he's going to retire in 70 days. He's earned that retirement. It's a great thing. But aren't you glad Jesus isn't counting down the days to retirement? Hello? From this high priest thing he's doing right now for you? Aren't you glad there's no expiration on, on, on his office that he's not going to die? He can't die. He serves by the power of an indestructible life. And he will forever, I don't even, we, we can't even get our heads around that, can we? He will forever be interceding for me. I mean, does your heart not swell with hope, with comfort? This is your Savior, this is your high priest. Jesus' ministry is forever. Fifthly and finally this morning. Jesus' ministry is in the true tabernacle, in the heavenly presence of God. Remember what we said at the beginning. Remember shadows and reality. We're rightly intrigued. I, I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll tell you, when I read the Old Testament description of, of the temple in Jerusalem, and, and there was a couple of them, I, I would have loved to have seen that building, wouldn't you? Right? I mean, it was amazing. It, would, it was amazing. It was a beautiful building. I would have loved, as I read the Old Testament, to see the Shekinah glory of God. I mean, I, you understand we couldn't see it or we'd die. Hovering over the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant behind the, the veil there in the Holy of Holies. I would love to have seen that, wouldn't you? Yeah. But sometimes we get so preoccupied with the shadow. Remember, what, what was that? It was a shadow. Does that mean it wasn't real? Let me just clarify this. Everything in the Old Testament is historically accurate and true and real. Like it wasn't, we're not, it's not myths, right? We're not saying that when we say it's a shadow. But as beautiful and amazing and as glorious as that was, it was a shadow being cast by something so much greater. His name is Jesus. 
And he is all of that and more wrapped into a person. And I may be getting ahead of myself here, but you know what is so awesome about that? You don't have to go any place on the planet, a specific location, to encounter the living God anymore. His name is Jesus, and he's ever, he's ever present. He's omnipresent. He's, he, he's, he's wherever you may cry out to him the world over. And by the way, he started with the nation, but his goal was a nation that spans the nations. Across all nations. The shadow was confined to one lo- lo- locality. The reality was for the world. That's why the gospel is a missionary message. What was I talking about when I went off on that? Jesus, I believe, number five, is the true, in the, is, his ministry is in the true tabernacle in the heavenly presence of God. That's it. Chapter 8, verse 1. Now, the point in, this, in what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places. Listen, here it is. In the true tent that the Lord set up, not Man, there's an allusion here back to the Old Testament when the tabernacle was first being constructed. And God had very specific instructions about how for, how for them to make the, the tabernacle. You remember that? You ought to go back and check that out, read through it. Very detailed in how they were to construct the tabernacle. You know what Hebrews is telling us? God wasn't just making that up on the fly. He was telling them to build it in the likeness of the heavenly tabernacle. The true tent, where Jesus right now is serving as our high priest. He's already once for all made his sacrifice there, but he continues to serve and intercede for you and me. Remember, verse 5 says, The earthly Levitical priests serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. A copy. So, So God instructs the construction of the tabernacle and And he's telling them how to make a copy of the heavenly one. What they saw on earth and what we sometimes wish we could have seen was nothing but a shadow and a copy of what, listen to me, one day, hello, y'all ready? We're going to see. Because what we talked about last week, remember that anchor of our hope? What or who is that? His name is Jesus and what has he done? The Bible says he's entered in behind the veil. He's a forerunner. He's gone in ahead of us. He's run all the way to the throne of God. And one day, you know what that means? I'm going to be right there with him at the throne of God. Let me tell you. Whatever the high priest saw when they went in on the Day of Atonement behind the the, the covenant, uh, behind the veil uh, hovering over the Ark of the Covenant, it, it it won't have anything on what we will see for eternity. Behind the heavenly veil of the true tent in which Jesus serves. Jesus' ministry is in the heavenly tabernacle in the presence of God. Hebrews 9, verses 11 and 12, and Hebrews 10, verses 12 through 14, describe how he serves there. Listen to Hebrews 9 11. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good thing, good things that have come, Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Can I just underscore this? In in, in that day, they thought the temple, I mean, and and, and up to that point it had been, the be-all, end-all place, that's where God lived. The author of Hebrews is coming along saying, listen, Jesus 
He didn't even die in the city. He died outside the gate. And he didn't run to the temple and make a sacrifice. He went to the heavenly tent. The reality for after which that one's modeled. And there he made his sacrifice in the presence of the living God. He entered once for all, verse 12, Hebrews 9, verse 12. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Man, I'm just going to stop. Hebrews 10, verses 12 to 14. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins... He sat down at the right hand of God. Remember, he's there in the presence of God, making the sacrifice in the true tent. And once he'd done it, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's me, and that's you. One sacrifice forever. And in that sacrifice, he perfected for eternity me and you. He made us righteous by his payment for sin. And he is continuously sanctifying us now. We are those who are being sanctified. And when he had done all that work, he sat down at the Father's right hand. The throne room of God is in the heavenly holy of holies. All, the, all, all of the images, all the pictures, all the metaphors mix at the end. The throne of God is in, behind that, in that true temple, behind the veil, there in the holy of holies. What a powerful reality. Chapter 8, verse 1, we have such a high priest. One who is seated. There it is again. He sat down after he got through this work, chapter 8, verse 1 says it again, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. What's all this deal about sitting down? Well, when do you sit down at the end of a work day? When you're done. When the work's finished. And so Jesus, it, it, it was, Jesus said it, it is finished. And when he ascended, he went to the Father's right hand and sat down. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, the book began this way. After making purification for sins, he, Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It is finished. It's finished. And yet, isn't this cool? Jesus will be interceding for us before the Father forever. The sacrifice, once and for all, done forever. His intercession, His presence there, His mediation for me, for my comfort, my assurance is every day unendingly for eternity. It is finished. Jesus' ministry is in the true tabernacle in the heavenly presence of God. So, what difference does all this make? You may or may not have learned anything new. Probably not. This is some stuff we've repeated and we've been seeing as a theme throughout the book. And we're going to continue to learn more about Jesus as our great high priest. But what difference 
should it all make? Well, first of all, just real simple, simply and beautifully, hopefully you already are. Like the truth we've been talking about does this. Be encouraged, amen? Be filled with comfort and hope. Remembering who Jesus is, be amazed that He's all of that for you. Live this day blown away that because He is your great high priest, you can boldly approach the throne of God. You are today a fully accepted child of God. He looks at you just like He looks at Jesus. Behold, John would say, what manner of love that we sinners, deserving of hell, deserving of the wrath of God, that we should be called the children of God. Why? Because Jesus is our most excellent high priest. There was a song written back in the 1860s by a lady named, named an Irish lady named Charity Lee's Bancroft. It's been redone in recent days, um, kind of some modern hymnody, and be, been redone. If I could sing it, I, I'd sing it for you, but you'd rather me just read the words. It's called Before the Throne of God Above. <clears throat> and it says, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. This, this hymn sums up Hebrews so far really good, so just listen close, okay? Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Nobody can tell me to leave. Because he's my high priest. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness. We don't have any on our own. The great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace, one in himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. If you get that, if you get the message of Hebrews, you have nothing to fear. There is nothing that can take your hope. Nothing. You see, our problem is not a weak gospel. It's not a weak Savior. It's not an incompetent priest. It's not a trashy sacrifice that had all kinds of blemishes and didn't really work. You know what my problem is? You know why I don't have hope? You know why I fear? 
Because I don't, I don't meditate on what we just have been meditating on. On a Tuesday, I'm not ruminating over the truth of who Jesus is for me. I'm not remembering who Jesus is. Because he's more than enough. He's more than enough for me to, to listen, I'm not talking about you know, grinning and, and laughing through the trials and the challenges, the tragedies of life, but to uphold me and strengthen me and carry me through no matter what. He's more than enough. Don't implicate by your living that he wasn't enough. That, 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 that hits me right here. Because that's what we do. We, who are we? We're children of the living God. We mope around like we have no hope. We live in this world, and, and you know, something doesn't go wrong. We don't make as much money over here as we want to. We don't get what we want over here. Our schedule gets wrecked. And when we, it's like the end of the world. What? That's what makes us different than the world. We don't have to live like that. I'm not saying you're going to be all smiles all the time, but you ought to have hope, you ought to have peace, you ought to have a joy that is immovable. And let me tell you, Jesus has done everything required for us to have that. So just enjoy. Be encouraged and full of comfort and hope. But secondly, serve Jesus with your whole life. A few chapters later in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2, it's kind of interesting. We're fixing to read Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 and Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's interesting. In both books, it's the pivot point where he goes from teaching to practical. All the truth gets laid out, and then he says, therefore, boom, do this. Live this way. In Hebrews 12, verse 1, he's going to say, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, people have gone before, believed before, lived this life before, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We're to run the race set before us. How do we run the race set before us? How do we, as it says here, looking to Jesus? How do we do that? Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Shadow worship was all the rites and rituals of the temple. Spiritual worship in the new covenant, in the full light of the Son of God, is living our whole life, all of it, to the glory of God. What the shadow of all the, the, the complicated worship of the temple pointed to was you and I living as priests of the living God and every day making sacrifices as we go throughout our day, making sacrifices that are pleasing to God, obeying God, loving other people, loving God, sacrificing our, ourselves, denying ourselves to follow Him, loving others and genuous, genu genuinely and generously caring for others the way He has loved us. We look to Jesus through his word, and he transforms our minds so that we're not conformed to the world, but rather we walk around as living sacrifices. We were able to run the race by living each day as a living sacrifice for his glory in the world. The Lord's Supper is one key way that God has given us to reaffirm our confidence in Jesus 
and to recommit our lives to worshiping Him. And so as we come to the table this morning, that's what this is all about. This is all about responding to who we know Jesus to be. Reaffirming our confidence in His broken body and shed blood. Recommitting our lives to be poured out for His glory because He alone is worthy. I'm going to ask Trey and, and a few of the deacons. I need about six of you total, so y'all just kind of watch, and when there's six up here, you're good. Uh, make your way up to help serve the Lord's Supper, please. And as they make their way up, hear God's Word from 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul says, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the war- Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the Lord's body, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. So they're in Corinth. They had turned what, in their case, was a weekly event. Every time they came together, they had the Lord's table. Maybe even daily at points. They, they would have the Lord's Supper together. But they turned it into just a party. They were, they were getting drunk at the Lord's table. There's all kind of crazy things happening. They were abusing the whole point, And they were missing the whole point. They were just going through the motions. They were taking it lightly. And God had struck some of them with sickness. He'd even taken some of them home to be with Him. He, they died. Serious deal. What does it mean to, to come in a, in a manner worthy of the Lord? It says, don't do it in an unworthy manner. So, so what does it mean to do it in a worthy manner? Well, it doesn't mean we're worthy of what he did. Amen? We've already established that over and over and over again. But it means that we can come in such a way that we show the worth, the value of the broken body and shed blood of Christ. It means we come turning away from any idols, any sin that we know about. It, it means we come and, and, and we... We come with fresh faith and and confidence, taking God at His word, believing His broken body and shed blood was enough. His resurrection from the dead was enough to save us. Not depending on anything we've done or are doing, for our standing before holy God, but depending only and, and fully on Christ. And so as we prepare for the Lord's table, pray with me and, and let God search your heart. Father, I thank you that your spirit searches and knows all of our hearts and There's nowhere we can run or hide from you, Lord. There's nothing you don't know about the deepest recesses of our thoughts and our lives. But I thank you that even as you see that and we tremble to think about that, we are comforted to know that knowing us fully, you love us. You love us as much as you can love us. Holy. What love, what grace. And so, Father, I pray right now that you would just cause us to turn from anything we're holding as more important than you, any sin we're hanging on to. May we confess it. May we just turn from it, repent of it, even now. Lord, if we have thoughts of self-righteousness, if we think there's something we're doing that makes us better off with you, then, God, I pray you would cast that out of our hearts. And cause us to come in a manner worthy that shows the value of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. May we come boasting in Christ, in Christ alone. 
How we praise you. Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice and the salvation purchased on the cross and secured by the resurrection. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Also there in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, Listen to this, by the way. This cup is the new covenant. We'll talk about more about that next week. In my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. We are partakers of a better covenant. A covenant of grace and mercy freely given through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And as Paul goes on to say, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We are saying, as we partake, there is only one saving meal for my heart. It's the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. Eating a cracker, drinking some grape juice, that doesn't save you. It's what it represents. It represents our heart's trust in the broken body, shed blood, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today and you don't know him, our testimony to you as we eat and drink is that. That's, what we're, that's a message we're preaching to you. And if you're here today and don't know him, I, I pray that as we preach this message in shoes, if you will, that you would turn to him. Right there where you sit, right there in your heart. It's not about a cracker and grape juice. It's about you trusting the broken body and shed blood given for you on the cross. On the third day, Jesus rising from the dead to save you forever. Do you believe that he is who he said he is? And church, for you and I, it's coming and reaffirming our confidence in who he is and recommitting our lives to serve him with all that we are. Won't you come to the table this morning? As you come and just begin to come from the sides, the, these little cups we have if you're visiting with us, uh, there's two layers to the lid, very important. Get the clear one first, that'll get the cracker out. If you get the purple one first, then you'll get grape juice in your lap before you get the bread out. So go one at a time from the top down, and you'll be able to figure that out. And so just come. This altar's open for you to, to worship there. Uh, if you want to, to do that, you can take, take and turn to your seat. But just begin to come uh, from all sections. You can just make your way um, and serve yourself here at the table. Come to the table.
take a moment as uh, the worship team is served the Lord's table and, and partakes to just continue in silence and prayer and worship
Father, we thank you for this time of worship. Thank you, Father, for the gift of the Lord's table that you've given us that points us back to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And today, we boast in him and him alone, and we enjoy afresh the goodness of our God freely given in Christ. Take us and use us for your honor and glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, just a, a few quick announcements uh, before we...